Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And we are back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and we are talking about bonds today, specifically why do I own bonds and trying to get at some questions that uh, a lot of our clients have been asking recently. And we, in, in fairness, for good reason, uh, because the bond market hasn't given people much other than other than low returns and even now some volatility recently. I believe um, I used the word crappy and I'll stand by that for the last <laughs> decade or so. But going forward, I different word. <laughs> that's a, low, a loaded term. All right. Oh. Yeah. So I in, in, in you before the break, you had started uh, into a discussion about sort of, you know, of, of portfolios, right? So most yeah. of us, most investors now are not just in a single segment of the market, right? And, and again, yeah, you can divide the, there's almost an infinite way, a uh, number of ways to divide up the various markets, right? Stock markets, bond markets, real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most, I think most of us uh, out there will have multi-asset portfolios. Many of us will own bonds as part of those diversified portfolios. And I think that's that's an important piece of this because, most some people are talking about their bonds as in oh they're lousy and it's a 25% allocation because they are on the aggressive side and others are talking about it it's a very different experience if you are if you're a very conservative investor and 80% of your money is in yeah. the bond market right so there's a yeah. we just want to be clear that there's a very there's a long a wide range of bond holdings when you compare compare one investor to another yeah and so if the title of our show is what is it why do we own why do i own bonds yeah So the very short answer is like we talked about just before the break, everyone wants to grow their money, but not lose their money. Stocks are the reason people own bonds is because where everyone wants the upside of stock investments, because that's the growth component of the portfolio, right? That's where you'll maximize your growth long term. But many people can't tolerate slash don't want slash it's not appropriate for them, given their circumstances, the downside what we call volatility, right? So, yep. so people don't want or maybe can't handle emotionally the downside that comes with stock-like investments in a bear market. And yep. so they can be down quite substantially in value upwards of, you can see a temporary downturn of 50% in yep. like a diversified stock portfolio. And some people just emotionally can't handle that. And there are also portfolio. There are reasons why maybe it's not appropriate for them to handle that because maybe they're taking money out and we don't want to sell things down in value, right? In our world, yeah, we we'll, want to sell we'll high, get into some of the real life that. examples. Yeah. yeah later yeah. after this. Yeah. yeah but that's absolutely. kind of like the short answer is you own bonds because maybe you can't handle the emotionally and it's just human yeah. nature, the downside that comes with owning stocks. And so there's not in our, in the world of where can I put my money to grow my money? Yep. At a very high level, how many options do we have? We have stock-like investments. We have bonds, bond-like investments. We have cash. Yeah. And we have real estate. Real estate. 
You could throw and, commodities in there. If okay. You, I was even so going to, I was yeah. even going to throw crypto in there, but that, I don't know. That <laughs> fad not, seems to have passed <laughs> and that's way too volatile. What's happened recently, but I'm glad that we're not talking about crypto recently. <laughs> that was a painful few years, but so if we think about all those different places, right? People own bonds because up until very recently, cash is very stable, right? Cash literally doesn't fluctuate down. We're not going to lose, you're not going to lose your money in cash. Except yep. if we factor in inflation and how you lose purchasing power in cash. But up until very recently, cash wasn't earning anything. And still, even lots of places where people have cash, like lots of money markets and savings accounts, still aren't earning anything. You have to work to find some interest and some yield on cash. So um, that's hasn't been a great option. Even still isn't a super great option. I don't think it'll be a great option long term. It's never really going to beat inflation. You might have a 3 to 5% interest on cash right now, but we still have high inflation. So it maybe not really beating that. Yeah. And then real estate was the only other big one I could come up with. And to own an act to own an actual tangible piece of real estate, you have to have a lot of money to put down. You have to have time to maintain the property. It's not liquid, right? With interest rates on mortgages right now, it's not as profitable. So there's there's issues there. Yeah. In the world of like where you can put your money to grow your money, bonds are still a great option. And I think we'll be better going forward but in the last 10 or 15 years have been pretty, pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, yeah, just to expand on that and to get into some the minutia of how portfolios are designed, right? If you look at all of those pies that you see in our world, those are all made by essentially by a fancy set of computers that are just trying to optimize the highest rate of return for a given level of volatility. Everyone says mm-hmm. they want mm-hmm. to earn as much money as they, as they can. Mm-hmm. And then you have varying levels of uh, how much volatility a given client can handle, whether it's whether it's personality driven or whether it's situation driven or a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Right. The way that these models are built is you essentially take what's the best return that I can get. And then you you design a range of portfolios that that, that are essentially are less and less volatile. Right. So, all right, yeah. here's the portfolio that's I'm going to use my math to, to look at all the historical rates of return on all these assets. And this is the best aggressive portfolio. It's got the least level of volatility, but it's all invested in stocks and it should give you a high rate of return. And then as you start to step down, there's really only so much you can do in to add to a portfolio to make it less volatile and and also yeah. give yourself the best rate of return for a given level of risk. And to be clear, most of that stuff is done using very large data sets, right? More data is tends to be better, right? If you're modeling an investment portfolio off of, let's just pick, you know, 2008 or 2022, um, and that was your only data set, you wouldn't have a, you wouldn't have a very diversified portfolio because the return would just say you want everything in cash because everything goes down. Right. Um, <laughs> and so you're using fairly large data sets. And if you just take a look back in history, which I did, thanks to the, the, the Stern School of Business at NYU, they listed kind of year by year rates of return for the S&P 500. I and mean, we have decent data that goes back to 1928 mm. here. And I just have a, f- I want to point out a few things to illustrate why mm. you end up getting bonds in portfolios. I, I counted by hand here mm. since 1928, there were 14 years where you had negative returns of more than 1% in a U.S. Treasury bill. So this is like the 30-year U.S. Treasury, which is just one example. There, there are also corporate bonds. We have T-bills. There are yeah. lots of different kinds here. But Was um, that 14 years that it was what? 14 years that the that the U.S. Treasury bill negative? was over negative 1%. There were a few that I just called it even if it was negative 0.3%. Basically that it was negative. There were 14 out of, a hun- out of 100 and almost 100 years. 
Nine, about yeah, ninety five. About oh yeah, twenty eight to twenty two. So like ninety four years. Eighty. So we can be round to a hundred. Okay, all right. Sure. Eighty years out of almost a hundred, there was a positive return in bonds. That's right. Okay, but yeah. positive could be like a tenth of a percent. Okay, but a but positive return. Okay, yeah. yeah. If, we're, right. if we're talking about yeah, just right. we're talking about right. volatility here. Right. In yeah. only fourteen of those years, yep. did you lose more lose okay. than one percent? Yeah. Um, and then, but in. And only in four of those years did that correspond with a negative return in the S&P 5. Four years out of those 94 years, did you have a negative return in both? Right. And so that's why it is pretty pretty rare. Yeah. What about the S&P? Did you count how many years out of 100 the S&P had a negative I did not return. I, I'm going to guess it's probably now, not all that. I wish many. I had. I know. Sorry. <laughs> follow up. I'm going to guess it's not all that many more. Maybe it's 20 or oh, something yeah. like that. I'm going to guess it's not that many more, but it's down much more significantly in those right. years, obviously. But I'm going to guess it's not that many more than 14, but that'll be an interesting one for you and I to find out after the show. Yes. And yeah, in another, just, just another data, another piece of data. There were, I counted seven calendar years. Now this is not, this is, the data is just calendar year here. So it's in there also, obviously the peak to trough of a bear market does not correspond with January 1st to to, to the 31st. But so these are just calendar years. And I found seven calendar years that that had, the S&P had returns lower than 15, negative 15%. So negative 15 or I guess, so there were seven calendar years and that happens. And in only one of those did U.S. Treasury bills have a negative return. I'll bet okay. you can guess which year it was. It was oh, 2022. Oh, 20. oh, I thought they were both down in 22 also. I'm sorry, in 08 also. They Yeah, but it was a temporary temporary depression and then it popped back up. And this is, so I've been using T-bills here. The bond market as a whole was worse because if you talk about the Bloomberg aggregate bond index, you are talking about a combination of government bonds of varying maturities and also corporate bonds. Corporate right? bonds, so okay. The 30-year treasury yeah. bill is not necessarily going to correlate. It'll be similar to the bond market a lot close, of times, yeah. but it won't be all that close in certain circumstances. If you have a credit crisis and you're worried about yeah. Uh, companies going out of business, the corporate bond side will have pulled it down. So yeah, if you were, okay. if it was the aggregate, probably, but not in this data set. You actually did some, I see on our outline here, you did some research regarding maximum drawdown of like aggressive yeah. portfolios and then conservative portfolios. And I think that's actually really helpful when we're yeah. answering the question, yeah. why do I own bonds? This is a great way to answer that. Um, and I don't want to steal your thunder because you did the research on this part of the outline, but like when we talk about like aggressive portfolios and how much they can draw down in a bad market and then contrast that with a conservative portfolio, which is largely bonds. This sort of answers the question. Do you want to explain that one? Sure. Yeah. And again, just to go back to my point is when you're building those portfolios, the idea is to reduce the overall volatility. That's that's why you have that position. Mm-hmm. And I did also want to point out just the long term nature of things. When you see that those investment portfolios and those pie charts, those are they're essentially designed as a mostly as a longer term investment strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. You can get into lots and lots of different ways to manage them, right? That are more, they're more active or they're more, or they're more passive and some are changed every month and some are changed never. But the, those portfolios are designed to, to reduce the risk of a sort of catastrophic 
issues, right? And it's based on long, very long-term data sets. And it's not, oh, this is the portfolio that's going to do best this year. It's this is the portfolio that has that has best weathered the storm based on this X number of years of data. Yeah. And so it doesn't always work out in a given year, but you're just trying to, you're just trying to improve your odds yeah. when you're investing in a diversified portfolio. Hold that thought, Justin. We'll be right back with more on today's topic, bonds. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. And we're back with more on today's topic, bonds. Yeah, you want me to jump right down to the drawdown here? Well, I don't know. What else, what do you want to cover before then? Yeah, I wanted to, let's, t- the reason, let's talk about, I think a bit about portfolio withdrawals, or do you want to, yeah, no, we can, let's stick on, let's stick to the, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the real world distribution stuff later. Okay. Yeah, but so I did just, just for fun, and I used a 15 year time horizon here, which brings us back into- okay. 2008. Okay. Uh, and so I looked back and I just have, we just have some generic portfolios that are diversified and they're aggressive. They're moderately aggressive. They're, and and we, we just add different levels of bonds, right? And our a strategic equity portfolio is just a diversified equity strategy. It's very simple. It's just five investments. You have your US stocks, small and large, and then international emerging markets. The max drawdown on that portfolio which happened in 2008 was 57.85%, which so that's is like that's not, top to bottom. That's top to bottom. So we don't, yep. what we don't know from that one data point is how long that took, right? But that's, right. yeah. Essentially, we could almost, we, um, I don't exactly know when it is, but I'm, I'm fairly sure that it was late 2007 to early that was 2009. Like, yeah, it was like 18 months or something along that line. Right. But yeah, but the yep. point is if you had, a million dollars in that strategy. Yes. Yeah. That's that. Then fast forward to March of 2009, you had $430,000. Yeah. Which is very, could, would be very scary depending on where you are in life and your net worth and all that stuff. <laughs> Scarier for someone who's 60 and wanting to retire soon yeah. than someone who's 35 and no worries, long-term strategy. I'm not even looking, hopefully. Right. <laughs> hopefully the younger investors are like that. But okay, so max drawdown of an all-stock strategy can be quite significant and can be very scary depending on your age and point and, and situation in life and the size of the dollars, right? We've talked about a, a bunch of times on the show how, you know, not only are older investors closer to retirement and needing money from their portfolio and calculating withdrawal rates and all that stuff. But generally speaking, the dollars that they have, they just have more money, most of them than younger investors because they've worked their whole lives to build their assets and save their money, right? Unless someone younger inherited or success early in life and all that stuff. So those two things make uh, would make a drawdown like that exponentially more scary for an older investor right? than a younger yeah. investor, which is why all stock strategy, most people know aggressive all stock strategies just aren't as appropriate for you as you get older, at least maybe for your big money or your larger accounts or whatever, the ones that you're going to be relying on. And that, my friends, is why 
you own bonds. And I guess we'll give the rest of the numbers and, and <laughs> yeah. it'll speak for itself. <laughs> yeah. And again, to be clear, if you held on to this strategy, you, you would have done just fine, yep. right? It, it, yep. You would have, at the end of it, 15 years later, you would have said, oh, hey, that's that's a pretty good return, oh, even though yeah. I did lose 57% top to bottom, and which was obviously a very scary time. But again, this is just, yeah, that's why you own bonds. Because if you don't own any bonds, you're going to, ha- you, you will be dealing with volatility. It's been a while since we've had anything you know, substantial, right? Obviously, COVID was, we had 2022, it was down in the 25-ish percent range. And then COVID, it was down, what, 35-ish. But, uh, you know, it, it certainly gets worse than that. And it's just been a while since we've had to deal with it. And hopefully, it's a, a while before the next one. Yeah. Um, and so, I, would yeah. Just, I would just clarify that you you just said, if someone just held that strategy, they would have been just fine. Yep. Which I, I agree with you, unless the person is like starting income and right. we're like selling off security. We're like selling stuff off to, to send them their money every month. And then you're selling your shares and then you don't have as many shares to recover from. And then it's harder to recover. Right. You got to <laughs> dig yourself a hole you can't get out of. Yep. And yes, they would have been just fine if they had the time to not touch their portfolio and let it recover. Right. And, and that's why, again, as you get older and pre-retirement and into retirement, it's just not appropriate to own a portfolio that's that aggressive because, again, there are those investment reasons why we can't risk a drawdown like that because if we have to sell stuff to send you money – then you can't recover as quickly and might not be able to recover depending right. on the numbers. But, yeah. Okay. And I, yeah, I have some data on that, which I'll get into next. Let me just, just because I, I read off the the max drawdown, if you had a set, the 75, 25, right? So if we take 25% of our money out of stocks during that same period, uh, your max drawdown went down to only 46%, which is sounds like still a lot, but, yeah, um, but it's more you know, than it's 11% it's like better. Per- yeah, 11 yeah. or 12% better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then if you had a balanced portfolio, again, still a huge number for a balanced portfolio. And again, this is a generic one down 38%. So now you're almost 20 percentage points better on your max drawdown. Yeah. Or I guess I should probably say 2000 basis points. And this, if you're in a, if you're in a 60% bond portfolio, your max drawdown was 25%. And then if you had the full 80% of your money in bonds during that period, your max drawdown was was 18.58%. So we're talking about the, the differences in volatility levels between stock and bond investments, even in a, a time when, again, as you mentioned, the bond market as a whole was very volatile at that time. So it was historically a bummer up until 2022, where, oh man, the stock market's down and the bond market's down a bunch too. It's not nearly as as bad, but that's the kind of delta that you're talking about between stocks and bonds in in particularly volatile times, which is why all of those softwares and, and all of the advisors say, hey, if, if you're not appropriate for max stock market volatility, you need to have bonds in your portfolio, or at least that's what the that's what the arithmetic all says. Yeah. Everyone wanted bonds in their portfolio. 15 years ago. <laughs> yes, Nobody wants did. bond in their portfolio yeah, right now. <laughs> yeah. Everything goes through cycles. Market, I do. But yeah. it, is, it does prove that market cycles are can be really long. Yeah. Right? Like we haven't had great years in bonds for 15 years. And it, yeah, cycles can be really long. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, international, yeah, international stocks versus oh, yeah. US stocks, right? Though, yeah, we, yeah. We're, we're in some very long drawn out cycles currently and they will, they'll change at some point. It's just a matter of when. I, I did want to mention because just to, to illustrate the point of volatility, I put some numbers into just a, a, a quick Monte Carlo simulator, just briefly on a Monte Carlo simulator. It's a scenario analysis, which mm-hmm. runs 
runs X number of scenarios and gives you a success rate, right? So I just ran a, a fairly generic in a fairly generic, we'll call it a retirement plan, right? It was it was 30 years, you have a million dollars, you take out $40,000 a year, and you in you in, okay. inflation adjust that 40,000 by 3% okay. per year, right? Percent so, withdrawal rate, okay. No, 3% withdrawal rate. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, yes, four withdrawal rate inflated at 3% every okay. year, right? It was 40,000 yep. in the first year, and then it's 40,000 plus 3% in that second year. Okay. So it's that's a, that starts with a 4%. Yep. distribution. Yeah. I and I also gave all these scenarios a 5% rate of return, right? So we're earning 5. Okay, and we're taking out 4 to start. And we're taking out 4. Yeah. And we're inflation adjusting as we go, so every year we take out a little bit more money, right? Okay. So I ran a 30-year analysis of that Whoa. and if okay. I if you had no volatility, if you literally were able to get yourself um, Five percent, we'll call it just a five percent annuity, fixed annuity or CD. You had zero chance of failure, right? right. If there's no ups and downs in your model, right? You're going to okay. earn five. You take out four. Yes, your your distributions get a little bit larger each time, but you don't get to zero in thirty years under that scenario if there's no volatility again, no ups and downs. Okay, okay? so let's. Okay, but should we point out that the fact that's probably impossible, right? <laughs> you it's, should it's do like, that. Yeah, it's like impossible because yeah. you're talking about I'm earning five percent. And inflation is 3%. And there's no world in which cash being the only investment that doesn't fluctuate downward beats inflation by 2%. That's right. Okay. So let's just. Yeah. I, I guess you could theoretically do if you had a 5% treasury, right? But yeah, a 30 year T bill, maybe we could call that a, a version of that. But then, but even then, you're having to sell off parts of that treasury along the way. And it, it's not really going to work because it'll be fluctuating in value. Yeah. So, and do you think T bills fl- beat inflation by 2%? No, t- this would be a 30 year bond. But, okay, but yeah. Okay. So maybe. Yeah, so again, in right. reality, yes. And I should have pointed that out. That's really not in the realm of possibility. And so it's not going to happen. But if it could and it did, it would be fantastic, right? Oh, this yeah. is uh, guaranteed. I can take out 4% of my money for 30 years and I don't have to worry about it. That's yeah. fantastic. I think that's a great model to point out. And I just didn't want listeners to be like, oh, I'll just yes. put my money in cash <laughs> yeah. and I'll only and I'll only take that's out 4% right. yeah. and everything will be fine for 30 years because it's not because you're not going to be earning 2% more right. than inflation. Okay. All right. Yes. Fair my, enough. Yeah, okay. my baseline does not exist. It's purely for <laughs> that's okay. illustrative All right. Let's talk purposes. about reality. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good to point out like because people might think I'll just do that. I'll just put it in cash yeah. and there's no downward volatility, but right. th- th- that doesn't exist in reality. Okay. Even though cash right now is actually earning 5%. That's correct. Yeah. But inflation right. is not at that low right now. It's not 3%. Okay. Sorry right. to interrupt. Yeah. It's a, yeah it's, a, it's a bit of yeah. a, it, it's, it, there's similar numbers to where we are now with cash and inflation, but the, again, those are so volatile that there's no way you would ever project that yeah. reasonably over, a, over a 30 year period like we're doing here. Okay. Again, purely for illustrative purposes, if I make a change and I start to put in volatility, I just want to, I just want people to see how much, how much things change as yeah. you start to add volatility to that investment portfolio. So right at zero volatility, there are zero failures, right? Right. If I put in what what we call a five percent standard deviation, we will you get a standard standard deviation is just a measure of volatility. And just yep. for your information, it's a five percent standard deviation would be historically about as volatile as like a bond portfolio, right? So if you have a bond portfolio, it's generally again long term averages here. And I know it was I know it was volatile in twenty twenty two. Long term averages, you don't get a whole lot of, of volatility. So a five percent standard deviation is similar to a bond market portfolio. At that level of volatility. 
your failure rate goes up to 26%. So even just adding a little bit of bond market oh, volatility okay. Okay. from that zero, you're up to 26% failure rate. Wow, okay. that's higher than I thought it would be for that. I know, for a bond I know, me portfolio. too. Well, I, I, I kind of, I thirty you know, year, yeah, thirty yeah, years. I put a five percent withdrawal on a and a four, and I'm sorry, five percent return and four percent withdrawal. So that that should be fairly close, right? That's, yeah, that might be tough for for, for 30, thirty years. years. Yeah, okay. And I did okay. that on purpose at a ten percent standard deviation, which again, ten percent is is similar to a balanced portfolio. Like a if you're a yeah. retiree or pre-retiree, a lot of a lot of folks out there will have a sixty forty, right? Sixty stocks, forty bonds, a ten percent. Standard deviation is relatively close to the volatility that you would expect in that type of a moderate portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. At that level of volatility, you are your failure rate goes up to 39%. Oh, right? wow. So, okay. so in a full one-sixth, I'm sorry, one-sixth. So in, in four out of 10 scenarios, you fail at that level of volatility. So that's moderate. And then if we crank it up, because I know we're running out of time here, yeah. if we crank it up to a 20% standard deviation, which is like a stock similar profile. to a stock market, yeah. uh, your failure rate goes up to 46%. So Interesting. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it would actually go down. Be- well, well, but, okay, but in fairness, I wasn't adjusting the rate. the return. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. okay, 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 okay. This is if just purely would, yep. the volatility, that, and that was the only. Yep. Yeah, again, that's just for illustrative purposes. In reality, if you were st- my my initial scenario where I get no no investment volatility, I would have to put in a lower rate of return, and my yep. stock market portfolio would have a higher rate of return, etc. So it's definitely a continuum. Okay, uh, but that's why you would use bonds because as you add volatility to a portfolio, especially for those taking out money your odds of failure are going to increase because market goes down, you take out money, it's you have less in there for the recovery phase. Yeah. And we could talk a whole show about like order of returns and how important that is. And these Monte Carlo simulations are factoring in periods of time where you have poor market returns at the beginning of retirement. And then even if they're great later, it like doesn't matter. But anyway, we could do a whole nother show on that. And I just thought, I know we have to go, but I just thought of a topic for our next show, Justin, because as you were going through this, I was thinking, wow, a million dollars really isn't as much as people think it is. And, and I think that we should do like a whole show on how far does a million dollars go in retirement or something like that, because that's $40,000 before taxes. It's in a whole lot of income yeah. for people in this area of world and all that stuff. But that's all our right. next, that's our next show. I know we've got to go, right? We got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up right now. Right. Thanks for listening. Fun. This has been uh, McNamara on money. If you have any questions at McNamara on and we will talk to you next week. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. You can find McNamara on Money on all the major podcasting platforms. New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode.